two, two different kinds of dinner invites, aren't there? Uh, there's, there's the sort where you rush to arrive the whole way there, you bound up the front steps, you ring the doorbell, and you are expecting a great evening. You're ready to be there. On the other hand, there's the sort where you kind of pause at the front step, take a deep breath, and ring the doorbell, putting your smile on at that point. Right? You, you think this one might take some effort. I think we all know the difference between those two sorts of invitations, and, and we wish we could avoid that second kind. <laughs> what if entering a worship service for the Lord's Supper felt like that second type of invitation? What if the event of communing at the Lord's table felt like it was going to require effort to sit next with the people next to you and receive that meal? It's supposed to be a meal for building up the saints, equipping them in their weaknesses, and yet dining at this table that should welcome, nourish, and help believers becomes an emotional drain thinking about being at church and considering who else shares this meal with you. Now, maybe that sounds outlandish to you. I hope in some ways it sounds outlandish to you that that's never been your experience. But the Corinthians grappled with something much like that. There were factions of some sort that created differences and seemingly at least implicit conflict within the Corinthian congregation, which had detrimental effects upon church life and the Lord's Supper itself. So our main point tonight is that the Lord's Supper requires church unity. The Lord's Supper requires church unity. And we're going to think about this in, in three points. The rift... Our reflection and our reconciliation. So first let's think about the rift. So this point, what we're doing here is unpack our text. So we're focusing, as noted there for you, on verses 17 to 22. That's our focus this time. And so we're unpacking this short section of verses to see the specific issues that Paul Addressed. And what we're going to see first is that there are two shifts in this text that happen right away. So the first thing to notice is Paul's lead into the issue. He began by letting us know two things. And the first one is that here he shifted to address the issues of public worship, which he had not been talking about before. So note in verse 17 that Paul highlights when you come together. So the last time we were in this book, I argued that the first half of 1 Corinthians 11 concerned marriage rather than public worship and all the issues there with prophecies and head coverings. They actually have nothing to do with what we do in public worship. Remember that. Right? When, uh, Paul was addressing prophecy, which women could not do in public worship, as we'll find in chapter 14, and so that's something else. Verse 17 strengthens that case, as now Paul lets us know he is changing course, and now 
Now he's talking about when you come together. Now he's talking about public worship. Okay, so this following discussion is about worshiping together, the gathered assembly. But what's the second shift? So second, he shifted from commending them back in 11 verse 2. Now he's not commending them. He's rebuking them. There's a problem he needs to address. But in the following instructions, in contrast to what he had said before, in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. I think we should pause for just a second to contextualize that personally so that we can feel the force of what Paul actually wrote there. Because I imagine there's a way that we've lost the sense of it. Think about, think about the last year and a half. Right? As we've rolled through varying degrees of lockdown and restrictions, I know that almost everyone agrees that one of the hardest parts of that season has been separation from loved ones. But particularly for us as Christians, as the church, not being able at times to gather properly for worship. Right? Hasn't it? That's been one of the hardest things. We have lamented over times when we could not meet and have struggled in meeting under less than ideal circumstances. So my point there is just to note how much it means to us as Christians to be together in worship. So now keep that in mind and mark Paul's comment here that when the Corinthians gather, it's for the worse. It does not improve things. Think about all just considered and how, how hard it is not to be together together. And it does not improve things for them to assemble in worship, but makes it worse. If we're paying attention to the significance of that comment, we ought to be interested in what could be so bad as to make assembling for worship deprovement rather than improvement. I think this is, this is perhaps one of the most startling rebukes in the New Testament if we catch the force of that one. So verses 18 and 19 contain the explanation of what is worse. Four. Why, why is it worse that we, get, we gather? Four. Because in the first place, for primarily when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And I believe it, in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. It's divisions. Divisions make assembling for church worse. Think again about how hard it is for Christians to be separate and unable to meet. And Paul says to assemble with divisions among us is worse than that. Now, he he concedes, right, that division is inevitable in the church to some degree, but his reasoning is surprising. He, he said that factions have to show up in the church to show who's a genuine believer, to show who is genuine. In other words, false professions of faith 
are revealed by people causing division in the church. That tends to be the opposite, actually, of how divisive people think of themselves. I'm just committed. I know what's right. Paul says, maybe not. He notes, the main issue is divisions, which has detrimental effects. Now, verse 20 should begin with a therefore. The word is there in the Greek. I have no idea why they left this one out. Uh, I try not to criticize our English translations, but it should have a therefore right at the start of verse 20. Okay, so because of divisions, therefore, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. In the first century, worship was most likely held in the homes of wealthy congregation members. Services were apparently joined with community meals. Paul argued, that, and we'll come back to that uh, and think about some, some usefulness to, to that point. Paul argued, though, that as they joined these meals to their worship, they abused them. Verse 21, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. So there's a lot of debates. And just remember, right, this point is just about moving through the text, unpacking what's going on, and we'll reflect upon it in a second. So there's a lot of debates about what this problem is, what what it means that the rich got to eat the meal first, maybe, or if people who had more failed, more food or, or whatever, failed to, to share food with poorer members, the have-nots. The specific details, I mean, we, we have some, but the real specifics aren't stated. And that's okay. Because what we do know is that for some reason, those who had more were getting better treatment at these meals. We know that. And that's what's at stake. Clearly, some had too much at the expense of others. The rift, the rift is growing division in the congregation even as they come to the Lord's table. That brings us to our second point, our reflection. And so we come to the place where we should start to think about how this helps us to think personally and examine ourselves as Paul will exhort us to do later in this text very explicitly. And and so I want to hang on, on kind of a, a, maybe it's niche, but it's at least specific. I, I want us to reflect on verse 20 and remembering, I really want to milk the fact that this should begin with a therefore. That's where we're at. What, why is this therefore so important? that I would I would tell us we need it. So starting up at verse 18, for in the first place, things are worse, right? Things are worse when you gather for, because in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. Drop down to verse 20. Therefore, because of those divisions, therefore, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. That little word, therefore, 
has massive implications. Personal division, disunity in the church made attempts to observe a sacrament, not a sacrament. We easily miss the force of this, I think. Just imagine, just imagine. No, this is totally hypothetical, but just, just put it in your imagination. If LCPC got a letter from an apostle saying that our conduct, our conduct has made our services not worship services. That's a, that's a devastating critique. So, so maybe, Maybe this helps us see why. Recently, in the past couple of months that we've been taking the supper, we, we've led into that by reading those questions from the larger catechism. Right? Th- those questions ask us, what is required? What duty is required as we take the supper and after we receive it? Our text shows us why it's so important that we would Consider our hearts as we approach the sacrament because neglecting our responsibility at Christian unity could make the supper not the supper. This, this reminds us though, right? This reminds us that the gospel is at the heart of our sacraments and, our, and at the heart of our worship in general. The supper reminds us that God feeds his people. It also reminds us of particularly relevant for this topic here, how all of us, all of us, come equally as sinners in need of grace to be fed by the Savior. The supper as a sacrament highlights how we are all needy. We are, everybody who gets to, to take those elements are those who need forgiveness. We cannot push ahead in the Christian life without the nourishment of the gospel. And so, Right? You think about these divisions about who's better and you think the supper should have a leveling, equalizing effect as we come to the table because this meal is an acknowledgement that we all have the same need, salvation, because we can't do it. None, none comes to the Lord's table as anything other than a sinner. There's not rich, there's not poor, there's not better, there's not status, there's not class, there's sinners needing grace. Those are the people who have seats at God's table. Money doesn't buy a cushion for your chair in heaven. The prestige of your job does not move you closer to the supper's host. Each comes to Christ's table repenting, celebrating Christ, not ourselves. How does, how does that help us think about the supper? 
Paul emphasizes the unity of the church here. The, I found this, this struck me this week because we're, uh, right, we, we've just read Colossians not too long ago in the Wednesday prayer meetings. We are reading Ephesians. Uh, we're studying Galatians in the morning and, and here we are still <laughs> a few years on for various reasons working through 1 Corinthians. And it struck me this week that this theme of church unity is in fact shot through essentially most of Paul's concerns as he addresses his, as he addresses the churches. Right, as we think about Galatians, as we've worked through that letter, he leveraged the doctrine, he, he leverages a doctrinal discussion, specifically justification to support church unity. Don't eat at separate tables or divide the church because you're all justified by faith, not by these works. We're reading through Ephesians on Wednesday nights where he uses election-based, works-free, grace, uh, grace-based grace salvation to exhort unity. We just considered that this week God is making one man, one people of Jew and Gentile in Christ. Church unity. Now, people go regularly, right? We, to the, to the doctor to get a checkup. Just to see if something's wrong. <laughs> right? Not, not thinking something's bad, but let's just see if something's off. It at least used to be <laughs> that we, that we took our cars for tune-ups, making sure the timing belts were right and the seals and parts were intact before something actually broke just just doing a checkup so what are what are we doing here i realize that it could be easy to sort of push ahead not dig into this because we know that there aren't deep fractures in this congregation But this text before us gives us the opportunity for a checkup as we think about ourselves in church life so that things don't get bad, right? I know, I know I've raised this topic repeatedly recently. It's, it's not an accident. It's, it's in the text we're considering. But is it not pressing on the church widely at this moment in time? God's, God's providence is kind in putting these texts before us because this is a hard season for the church considering church unity. And I don't want to presume that our hearts are beyond this issue, even if we are not outwardly struggling yet. Unity is so important. I mean, that point has already been made. Right now, though, across the world, churches are splitting. People are leaving over, I mean, maybe they just like an online service from a different congregation, online service from some other congregation better. 
I realize there, I realize there are safety concerns and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, I can watch that guy in a different country because I like their preaching and their service better. That's what I'm talking about. Or even just, you haven't responded to COVID the right way. So people leave. But here's the thing. Our, our goal, leave the world aside now, our goal here, is it not, however, may, however well we may do it, is to get everyone to the Lord's table without division. There's so many things that are less than ideal in our world and possibly, possibly you may even think there's some deficiency in a member of your church family. But we have to bear with one another. As Paul just spent so many chapters, eight to ten, right? And these are long. These are not brief discussions. Several chapters exhorting us to give up our rights and our preferences for the benefit of our brother and sister. We may disagree. I get that. That that is more than likely that there's disagreement. That's not the issue. We may think we have right to this or that. Like, Like the better off seem to think they have right to more food and wine in Corinth. We may think this is it. This is the one way. But Paul said, come to the table as equals. Striving for unity. Our So, our reflection is then to consider how we cherish and enact unity in our church. We need to reflect on how we cherish, because I hope you do, and an act, which can be difficult at times, unity in our church. It brings us to our final point. Our reconciliation. How, how does, if this is leading up to this is what should do at the Lord's Supper, how does the Supper help our unity? First, we see, we see here in this passage, I mean, it seems clear that the early church ate this meal frequently, which they did as a statement of their unity. Right? Paul's, Paul's use of the phrase, when you come together throughout our passage before us, seems to tie even the weekly services to the supper it's twice in verse 17 and 18 right is clearly just about the worship service but then verse 20 assumes that the supper was held at those services those when you come together which they were doing every week services in acts 242 believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Acts 20 verse 7 says, and I think this kind of lands what was happening in the first century, 
on the first day of the week, so the Lord's Day, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread. Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. So, one, we can be thankful that I won't keep you here till midnight. (laughs) Two, we can also see that the Lord's Supper there was a crucial part of Christian worship in the early church. It was tied to what they did in worship. Now, to get ahead of this, does this mean that we must celebrate weekly communion? No, I don't think it means that we must, right? Because even our text shows that the church is free to use differing circumstances, right? We, we talked not too long ago about the difference between elements and circumstances, right? So we used, before we used, you need a preacher to preach the word, but his clothes are a matter of circuit. So element, preaching, through a preacher, circumstance, does he wear a tie or a clergy collar or something else, right? Can be changed. So we come back to circumstances, Even this passage shows the church is free to use differing circumstances for executing the supper. Verse 22, what do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Now, how does this get us at circumstances? The Corinthians... We're using a full meal attached to worship as the circumstance for observing the supper. The institution of the Lord's Supper accompanied a full meal. It made sense. But here, Paul said, Paul said, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? So, if, if your use of that circumstance, which has reasonable background to it. If your use of that circumstance doesn't facilitate church unity, change it. If this meal, if this full meal attached to the Lord's Supper isn't facilitating the purpose of the supper, eat in your house. Change the circumstance. Eat your meal at home if that's not helping unity. Circumstances of the supper, like frequency, setting, other aspects, can be legitimately changed. Not all of them, but some can be legitimately changed in order to best facilitate the sacrament's purpose. What then is the element? If we've seen circumstances can change, what's the element in the supper? Our shorter catechism, 96, says the supper requires giving and receiving bread and wine, showing forth the death of Christ. The giving and receiving of bread and wine, which shows forth the death of Christ. We must observe giving and receiving bread and wine as the non-negotiable element. But circumstances can change. Why? Because this meal should foremost display church unity in the gospel. And that's the factor in our circumstances. Keep the element. That's got to be there 
Pick the circumstance that facilitates it. Jump to verse 33. So, then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Eat together. There are different ways of doing that. We, we do that here, don't we? We eat at the same time. We wait for one another and eat together. Wait for one another, drink together. Eat. No, that's not the only way to accomplish that. Eat together because this meal is for unity. The circumstances and observance must demonstrate that. Why is this so important? Here's, here's our big payoff to all this stuff. Why is this so important? Because Christ gets us together in the gospel. Christ Jesus died to cover our sins and forgive us in God's sight. His doing and dying restores our relationship with God. For those who believe in Christ, every wrong we ever commit is wiped away because of Christ's death. In sum, we are reconciled to God. The gospel reconciles us to God. But, or further, maybe that's the better conjunction there. The gospel reconciles us to God and that reconciliation with God leaves a crater of reconciliation on earth called the church. There is a reason why right after this discussion about proper implementation of the supper, Paul shifts to outline the body of Christ, the church. Reconciliation vertically leaves a mark in reconciliation horizontally with the person next to you in the church. So, Christian, we take away from that, don't we? Salvation isn't lonely. You individually are reconciled to God. Yes. And that puts you in a family. Now, the truth about families is your family may often trouble you. And frequently, very well may disappoint you. So none of this says that not being lonely is easy. (laughs) We may, in fact, at times wish salvation was more individualistic. Wish, I'd just rather be lonely in my salvation, God. That's not the way it works, though. Your family may well trouble you, may well disappoint you. They will not leave you only. The church is far from perfect. Indeed, kind of built into the nature of it is that we need forgiveness at every turn. But we find that, we find that in Christ who pulls us increasingly in sanctification, increasingly close to God, oftentimes 
by pulling us increasingly close to one another. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful in your generosity and kindness that you give us this opportunity for a checkup. As we can consider this text during a difficult season of church life globally, but then with lots of things going on for us here in this congregation, we can look at ourselves and think again about the majesty of the gospel and what that means to have reconciliation with our God. But then the wonderful miracle you do through reconciling us to yourself and how that means reconciliation with one another. We eat at the same table. You are building one man, one person, one people of every tribe, tongue, and nation (laughs) of different perspectives on economics, politics, so many things. You're building one people. Sanctification happens as people with rough edges rub against one another and rough edges get knocked off. And we know that that's hard. But in these moments, God, we we thank you. We thank you for the lack of conflict here in this church. We thank you for that. We give you praise because we know that that is easily broken, that that does not happen apart from your gracious gift. But we beg you for it still. Keep us together. Keep us loving one another. In difficult things, help us to love one another well. In frustrating things, in disappointing things, in bothersome things. Not just when it's easy, when it's tough. God, give us the strength to love each other well. To bear one another's burdens. To hang in there when we wish it were different. God, because we want to gather at the supper and it be the supper. We want to come together and it be for the better, not for the worse. We want to gather and it be glorifying to you as you build up your saints, as the gospel is pronounced and poured out on your people. So help us to bathe And the idea of reconciliation. Shower us with grace, reminding us of reconciliation. And that it goes multiple ways. You reconcile us to yourself and to one another. Help the gospel to rebound in our lives, in the church. For Christ's sake. Amen.